episode 29 with Dr. Sam Gandhi. Welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast. I am Kim McCall. The premise underpinning discussions on this podcast is that life extends beyond the physical dimension, that death is not the end of life, that we're all connected energetically with each other, both in the physical dimension and across dimensions, and that there is a purpose to our life that involves growth, healing and assistance to each other. I aim to have conversations to expand your consciousness, help you reconnect with your essential self, and live life as an integrated, multidimensional human being. But given the subject matter, a request. Don't believe in anything, including what is shared here. Experiment, have your own experiences, and always use discernment. The musical introduction to this episode is by Finnish fusion artist Axel Teslev, and this song is called Reincarnation. My guest today is Dr. Sam Gandhi. Sam has a PhD in ecological science from the University of Aberdeen and a master's in research in entomology from Imperial College London. He is a writer, speaker, amateur mycologist, and has a lifelong love of nature and wildlife. He has conducted field research in various parts of the world, including the UK, Almeria, Texas, the Peruvian Amazon, Vietnam, and Ethiopia. Most relevant to our conversation, he also has experience of working in the psychedelic field as a scientific assistant to the director of the Beckley Foundation, and currently as a collaborator with the Centre for Psychedelic Research at Imperial College London. His research is focused on the capacity of psychedelics to reconnect our increasingly disconnected species to nature for the potential betterment of humanity and the biosphere at large. In our conversation, we explore the findings of a large study Sam participated in that explored how psychedelics impact on the user's experience of their connection to nature. If you've read my writing on this subject, you will know that I have an ambiguous relationship with psychedelics. On the one hand, I appreciate the way they can broaden our experience of life and help us transcend outdated paradigms. On the other, I have had equally transformative experiences without the use of any substances. And I believe that there is in fact a risk that overuse of psychedelics can impede our innate capacity to access these transformative altered states. I was very happy to be able to explore this and other topics with someone as measured and experienced in this field as Dr. Gandhi. So, yeah, Sam, thanks so much for coming on. And um, I really, I would like to start with um, just getting a bit of background of your, your academic background and also really interested in how you got into because I believe you're, you've got originally a PhD in eco- ecological science or eco-sciences or something. How you got into all the yes. space of consciousness and that, and that space? Sure. So, yeah, it's great. It's nice to, nice to be chatting, uh, Ken. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, my, my academic background, uh, I did a master's in, in entomology and then that kind of led on to a PhD um, in ecology, ecological science with some, some entomology in the mix as well. So that's kind of academic uh, 
focus, if you like. But yeah, for quite a while now, since the start of my undergrad um, degree, so that's quite a while ago, decade and a half, a bit more. I've, I've been interested in um, in psychedelics. Um, at the time, I was an undergrad student in, in London. At the time, then uh, psilocybin mushrooms were fresh were were legal, could be purchased legally uh, in parts of London. And okay. So, yeah, that was kind of my, my first experience uh, with psychedelics. Before then, I'd always been quite staunchly anti-substance of any kind, really. And sort of that kind of opened my mind that it's, yeah, it's not as black and white as, as that. Um, and so, yeah, I became really quite interested in, in consciousness and altered states, not just psychedelics, but other things like dreaming and, and OBEs mm. and stuff like that. Um, and... So I started, I enjoy writing. Um, so I started kind of writing a few articles uh, about psychedelics. There's a, there's a biannual um, conference, Breaking Convention, held in London. And that's a great, that's a great uh, conference. And I've, I've spoken all but the first one of those and, and sort of attended all of them. And through that, I've kind of uh, met uh, the sort of the, some of the psychedelic community uh, of, of the UK and sort of also sort of more broadly the, the world as well. And yeah, got to know some of the researchers in the field and sort of, yeah, my kind of, I guess, scientific interest has grown. So I ended up, I've ended up kind of editing a few scientific papers and writing a few of my own. Um, and then in January of last year, I, I started a job as scientific uh, assistant to the director of the Beckley Foundation. So that's a charitable trust and think tank that um, instigates and funds research into psychedelics. Um, and around the same time, um, Robin Carhart-Harris, who heads the Centre for Psychedelic Research at Imperial College London, he, he invited me to be an external uh, collaborator with the Imperial Group, uh, particularly um, in reference to my interest in the uh, capacity of psychedelics to to sort of increase our connection to nature, yeah. so it kind of does play on my ecological background, and I kind of see it as a as an, a nice bridge in that you know ecology is the science of of interconnection uh, of the interconnection of living systems, and a core sort of facet of the psychedelic experience is is interconnection. Um, but it's a kind of direct experiential um, comprehension rather than a detached intellectual academic understanding, which is which is what the ecological science is more about, I guess. Yeah. So, so if I understand what you're saying, is that through the psychedelics, it's like you get an experiential um, connection with nature. Is that? Yes. Yes. So connection, and more broadly than that as well. Um, this 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 theme of connection of psychological connectedness uh, runs quite deep and, and it's multi-level as well. So connectedness can encompass uh, connectedness to self, uh, connectedness to others, and then uh, connectedness to nature and the world or the, uni mm. or the universe and, and sort of, yeah, spiritual principles as well. So it's, it's sort of very broad. Um, but psychedelics seem to kind of reliably increase this uh, multi-level connectedness and, and to nature and in a sort of enduring sustained um way as well so yeah it's nice having tools available that kind of allow this direct experiential understanding it's a very different form of knowledge to 
um, a, you know, the detached sort of intellectual kind. Mm. Um, so it's useful sort of, yeah, two, two very different pathways to sort of a similar understanding of this, this theme of, of interconnection. And so I was actually curious, maybe just to slow things down a bit and go back to where you talked about your first introduction to psilocybin mushrooms uh, mm -hmm. when you started at university. Uh, was there a particular experience that you can remember that you could maybe talk us through that really um, was where you, where you got sparked into, I really want to understand this more and, and this um, profound, you know, some sort of profound implications for... Uh, understanding myself well, and, and so on more deeply? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, you know what, I'm not sure if there was a specific like defining experience that I can recall, actually, there were some definitely early interesting experiences, but essentially my, my first experience uh, and I was very like, you know, didn't really know that much of what I was doing. Didn't really sort of maybe read about the whole set and setting thing, but didn't really sort of, yeah, know just how fundamentally important that was. Well, maybe um, just maybe just explain what that means. You know, the set and setting, and and um, why yeah, so, so yeah, so the so particularly particularly with psychedelics, much more than any other substances, because they have such powerful effects on on the mind, on consciousness. Um, the set and setting, so so the um, the psycho so social set, so the mindset that you go into the experience, and that can encompass things like your personality, your expectations, your prior experiences, how you're how you're feeling on the day. That that will play will play into the experience, and at the same time, your setting, um, the environment that you use the substance in. Um, who you're, who you're with, um, music like music has a powerful effect. Um, right. Access to nature, uh, so there are quite a lot of variables in in the mix. So essentially, like a very sort of summarized view of what psychedelics are is that they're, they're non-specific amplifiers of of the psyche of consciousness. So yeah, so that's something worth bearing in mind when going into these experiences. And I didn't really know that sort of, well, I hadn't sort of didn't deeply uh, know that sort of the first time I used mushrooms and my sort of first experience along with my, one of my best friends, it was our shared first experience. And we sort of went out for a night clubbing in, in London uh, to a club I've never been back to and never plan on going back to. And it was sort of, it was, a, yeah, it was a sort of disaster of a, a train wreck of an evening, I would say, but it wasn't without its lessons and it was a, a very sort of very good wake-up call in terms of the whole set and saying and the importance yeah. of that when using these substances which are very powerful i didn't know what we didn't know what we were sort of getting ourselves into i guess uh, but very much did after that Afterwards. <laughs> and so although it although it wasn't like um yeah it did it wasn't sort of like a uh, really a positive experience it kind of I came away with the feeling that this is something this is something deep mysterious interesting and definitely were worthy of further exploration but on sort of but yeah taking it taking it more seriously and and planning it beforehand and really sort of yeah making sure set and setting are optimal to get the most out of it so that's that's how I did it from 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 then yeah and now 
maybe we could also just briefly talk about what what kind of psychedelics you know when you use use the word psychedelics so one thing i was going to ask there's other terms that people use entheogens is one yes um, hallucinogenic hallucinogenics is one yes um, maybe you could have a bit of a commentary on those terms and also just maybe outline the key substances that fall into those into that category sure okay and so yeah there's a few terms sort of floating around i think i prefer although it's sort of a you know a 60s term i think i prefer uh psychedelic as a, as a term and that's that that's the term that's still it's used scientifically and psychedelic um was a word um invented by by uh dr humphrey osmond who was a who was a acquaintance of albert hoff uh, sorry not albert hoff aldous huxley who, who gave and supervised aldous huxley's first pivotal masculine experience okay. uh english psychiatrist and psychedelic researcher and yeah they, huxley and him had a bit of a contest over inventing a word and uh osmond sort of won uh, won that and so yes yeah, psychedelic means mind manifesting and because of these the capacity of these substances to sort of bring up content uh, subconscious content into focus yeah. in, in, in the mind so i think that's a nice term because that's part of what they do it's quite a neutral term hallucinogen is a, is a term that predates psychedelic um and it's been used and is still sometimes used um it's not i mean it is used scientifically but it's a bit of a problematic term i think in that when you hallucinate um you are essentially you're perceiving something which is which is not there but you think it is that's that's the definition of hallucination yeah. so it's essentially a form of delirium psychedelics don't they don't do that you know you're 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 aware what you're experiencing is a result of a chemical interacting with mm. the brain unless you're sort of in very deep so i don't think halluc hallucinogen is a really accurate term to use um entheogen uh, is also sort of used by by some so that that's referring to the capacity of the psychedelics to generate uh experiences of the divine or, or god within so and that some people like to use that term uh that is sort of that term i guess is less neutral it's got a bit more you're kind of imposing um meaning um upon sort of when you're using that term it's it comes with maybe certain certain baggage that some people that some people may resonate with and others won't so i feel that psychedelic is a nice term because it's kind of more more neutral mm. and then you might and you might yeah. have noticed you know i i sometimes use the word projectogen yeah in, in terms of the, the but that's something i hope we'll get to talk to at the end around understanding yeah. what happens when we take these drugs right in terms of yes. projection of consciousness that's and Otherwise. yes i've read i remember reading about that uh yeah in your in your book actually and yeah that's an interesting concept uh no i quite like that but um the classical psychedelics in particular so there's things that are sort of being looked at now scientifically are uh, lsd mescaline ayahuasca which the main sort of active component is dmt um and uh, psilocybin and so, so substances like that so most of these bar lsd which sort of was invented in 1943 um a lot of these they, they tend to have a long a long history of usage of human usage so they've been used by different cultures going back centuries or, or millennia even um they're physiologically non-toxic they're they're incredibly safe in, in a physical sense um they're non-addictive they don't they don't have any habit forming properties 
and they have very powerful effects on the human psyche. And that's the kind of thing, sort of, yeah, the the features that all these different different compounds share. Mm. And I, I guess I just like to to note, I suppose, that there are quite a lot of synthetic products um, out there on the market that uh, I think, especially for younger people, are often quite accessible. Um, yes. And I guess just, we're not talking about any of that, right? We're really sticking with those. Um, I, yeah, when I, so there are, indeed, there are lots of, there are many different sort of other psychedelic compounds out there. Um but a lot of these, they're they're sort of much new, much more sort of newer, recent synthetic developments. And in terms of like safety, like we have we have the sort of data or like the growing data on things like mescaline, on psilocybin, um, on ayahuasca, DMT, on LSD as well. You know, they've been quite uh, well. They sh- should be more thoroughly researched. It's not that easy because of the illegality and mm. inaccessibility to researchers. But there's there's sort of solid data going going back quite a few decades, and they've been looked at. Their toxicity and stuff's been explored. Whereas some of these new compounds um, that have been developed, they they've not yet been thoroughly tested. So there's definitely more of a potential um, risk uh, with them. Uh, um, there's an interesting interesting thing i've been sort of researching for an article on exploring synthetic organic psychedelics because i think there's some interesting angles here and i thought you might find this interesting kim given your sort of research background but there's sort of in the 90s um this this compound psychedelic compound 2cb was was legal and accessible in in south africa and uh the some of the indigenous south african groups um had a sort of took a yeah, had a, a reverence for it. I think the the name the tra- the name translates roughly to medicine of the singing ancestors. And interestingly, I think they actually preferentially selected this synthetic psychedelic because the plants that they would often use to induce trances were were getting increasingly in short supply and were also quite toxic and dangerous and, and, and unpredictable. Whereas the two CB was was safe and reliable. And effective. So I think it's quite an interesting case of where something lab derived and synthetic took the place and was mm. actually preferred to the natural plant equivalents in the environment. Mm, that's interesting. And as you mentioned, Africa, I just remembered also Iboga. Um, I don't know if you've looked at that, but I think that's also um, would probably fall in that same sort of category of, of psilocybin and uh, mescaline. Yeah. So Iboga's in, is interesting stuff. I do. I do know it. Um, quite well so i don't think so the the ibogaine molecule which is the principal active um, compound is very it's very complex in terms of sort of it's part psychedelic but also part dissociative and unlike the classical psychedelics which sort of they work they're essentially serotonin mimickers and they work on the serotonin system in the brain and they slot into the the serotonin 5-H2-2A receptor in the brain. And that's their sort of principal thing. Whereas Ibogaine doesn't. Um, it, it's, it's called like, it's referred to in sort of like biochemical or like terms a, as a dirty drug, not because it's, it's, it has dirty effects, but because it's, it's promiscuous in that it hits many different types of brain receptors right. uh, with low affinity all at the same time. So it's very complex in its in its effects uh, but it's actually defined more as a, it's more of an honorogen 
than a than a psychedelic. So it's a dream, an onorogen. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a dream inducing agent rather than a a mind manifesting agent. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So um, I did notice it was on one in your list of uh, of substances. I think that you that you had in your study. So let's talk about your study a bit. Um, the name of it is from egoism to ecoism. Psychedelics increase nature relatedness in a state mediated and context dependent manner. So um, yeah, I certainly like the from egoism to ecoism. It's a nice a nice title. Um, Thanks. <laughs> there, there's, I, I'm curious about some of the, the next parts of it. So uh, nature relatedness, what are you meaning by, by that? How does, what does that mean? Yeah, so nature relatedness, um, otherwise known. So na nature relatedness is, is referring to, it's a specific measure that we use. Um, it's quite widely used in the research literature. Uh, called the NR6, uh, the Nature Relatedness 6 scale. So it's a six-item scale to assess this nature relatedness that could also be termed nature connectedness. Um, and so this is um, it's essentially uh, the degree, it's one's self-identification with nature and the natural world, your experiential felt sense of oneness with nature, the degree to you feel part of nature. So this is what this scale is assessing. So this is something distinct from simply spending time in nature. And that's an important distinction to make, even though they overlap uh, there, it's, it's something else. And of course, like to put it another way, like, especially I'm, you know, having sort of been involved with ecology, like we're all connected to nature all the time. And there's, there's no way we can't be connected to, to nature. Um, but still, I guess what the what these measures are assessing is the awareness, is one's awareness of that connection. And although that might seem a bit sort of ethereal, like that, the awareness of that connection has very important and profound implications on a number of levels. Mm. So not only uh, is it sort of a strongly associated with a broad manner of uh, measures associated with. Um, psychological health and well-being so reduced anxiety um, enhanced vitality life satisfaction life meaning uh, many different yeah measures of, of psychological well-being but it's also a strong if not the strongest predictor of pro-environmental awareness as well um so, so yeah so maybe it's, just talk us through how do you um i don't know i don't know how extensive this is but how do you measure a person's nature related and you said there were six category yes uh, so it might here. sound crude yeah it's essentially it's 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 six different questions um and they're asking like you know to what for example like you know when you go on holiday do you choose a, a nature environment or a city environment uh, when you go about your day like um how you know nature is very important to you it's, it's different sort of questions designed to probe um, one's sort of value and interest and awareness in nature. And then it, and then you answer on a kind of sliding scale, you know, like sort of zero, zero, not at all to 10, like absolutely completely. Um, so, which might sound a bit crude, but really the only way you can find out about people's nature connectedness or relatedness is to ask them 
and then to sort of rate their their answers. There's no there's no really other way. Um, so, but these you know these measures have been assessed in the research literature quite uh, quite extensively, and they seem quite quite solid in the, in the things that they predict and are associated with. And and just the power like qualitative stuff doesn't sort of you know some scientists are more about the mechanistic neuroscientific side of things in terms of breaking, doing the brain scans. And that's a very important part of the, the puzzle, but it really only tells you so much, you know, mm. and so you need to do the qualitative research and you need to ask people about their experiences. Um, my good friend, Dr. Ros Watts, she worked on psilocybin for major depression. And as part of her six month follow up of people who'd been through psilocybin therapy for major depression, she found that um, people who had depression and then who'd gained relief from psilocybin that they all they all unanimously talked about this this theme of connection connection increased connectedness including to nature as well but but more broadly uh, as i was mentioning before to sort of yeah. uh, to the self and to other people and this connectedness was it was enduring it, it sort of it lasted it came up very prominently during the psilocybin experience but the memory of it um, left a sort of much more sustained mark on people, and that was part of the therapeutic action was was the enhanced connectedness and also acceptance of unpleasant emotional states so and you 'd really only sort of find that out through asking people no amount of brain scans as important as they are in terms of the role they they play in the research would would sort of yeah elucidate that yeah no that 's very true so so you would ask people, um, maybe you can just outline the study for us, yeah, briefly, like, so, yeah. so how you went about, I know it was a sort of a questionnaire approach. Um, yes. Yeah, outline how you so measures. And- obviously, at, at this time, it's, it's very, given the illegality of psychedelics, um, it's very hard, challenging, and also very expensive to do sort of like proper double blank placebo controlled psychedelic studies so one way of getting around this can i just um, sorry just jump in there just because i did have a question just as you mentioned placebo and because i was actually i saw that in one of your pieces and i was actually wondering how how would you do a placebo in a psychedelic study i mean how could you give somebody something and they would not know that it wasn't a psychedelic um, so yeah, um, it's not very easy. They've done you know double blind psychedelic studies. So even when the uh, the people giving giving the psychedelic, the researchers don't know whether they're giving the research the the, the active compound or the placebo. Right. But it's very tough to do, as you might imagine, with a psychedelic. You can sort of control for it as much as you can. Sometimes they um, active placebos are used. So in some of the Johns Hopkins research they used a uh, ritalin uh sort of to give the feeling of a, of a buzz and something happening right. um in the imperial studies they use a microdose like a mini tiny mini dose of psilocybin of the active compound itself so yeah there are sort of like but it's but it yeah it's a tough it's a tough thing to sort of control for given nature of psychedelics and yeah. like the power and profundity yeah, of the, exactly. the experience you tend to know when you've when you've been um, um, being dosed or not. Um, but in any event, you were I, saying you couldn't even do that at all in this case because of the illegality. Um. No. So, no, one way of getting around this, how tough it is to do the research is, is via surveys, is via online surveys. So this, we gathered our 
like all manner actually of, of, of data relating to psychedelic use. And we were just looking at the, the thin slice of nature relatedness. Um, and yeah, that was, it was, a, it was a designed by some of the web uh, team at the Imperial College Research Group. And it's, it's quite a sophisticated uh, piece of software in terms of it's a prospective survey. So it kind of assesses people before a psychedelic experience, I think immediately after two and four weeks, um, and then two years afterwards. So it's kind of, it's taking snapshots of various different measures at various time intervals, but sort of looking looking at the long-term as well, which is important, I think. And there's yeah. not been lot, that much long-term sort of research uh, at, that, at this time. So, yeah, so people kind of like, they have a psychedelic experience. They fill out all their baseline measures on all different things. So well-being and mindfulness and openness and, and their nature relatedness and all these things. And then we sort of like assess at various time periods after their, their experience. And also the, the survey takes into account people's baseline uh, psychedelic use as well. How, how much have they used psychedelics prior to doing that survey? And some people, some people had quite a lot of use, um, you know, obviously varied. Some people, it was their first ever time doing a psychedelic. So we had a kind of nice variation of, of sort of data depending. Yeah. And I suppose you would imagine you would imagine that people who'd already taken a lot of psychedelics, uh, you wouldn't necessarily expect them there to be a big shift taking another no. dose. No, there we and we didn't find that. So we found, I mean, yeah, we found a few different interesting things. Um, so we found that people, so p- psychedelic naive people, people who had had no prior psychedelic uh, experience, they there was definitely like a significant increase in their nature relatedness following that first psychedelic experience we also found like a very strong unusually strong and very clear relationship showing that people's baseline psychedelic use um sorry their so their 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 total lifetime use of psychedelics very had a very strong effect on their baseline nature relatedness as when they completed the survey so there's two different findings relating to this increase in nature relatedness total lifetime cumulative use of psychedelics and also a single one-time use before and after of a psychedelic so those were two of the findings relating to nature relatedness we also found that as people's uh nature relatedness went up as a result of their psychedelic use their psychological well-being also went up at the same time. And this is something that's been echoed in a lot of other research papers that aren't looking at psychedelics, that are just looking at nature relatedness or connectedness on its own. Uh, So that that was very much echoing previous research um, and lots of it that's been done elsewhere. And we also found that was interesting was that we assessed people on their, um, their access to natural settings during the acute experience itself and the perceived importance of those settings. And we found that, um, yeah, access to natural settings and also ego dissolution experiences under the psychedelic, they were two positive predictors of, uh, of increased nature relatedness uh, mm. as well. So a couple of questions on that. What, what did you count as natural settings? So would a park um, be a natural setting? Does it have to be out? And Yes. So, no, it does, a park or an urban green space would definitely count as a, as a natural setting. 
Um, this is one of the this is one of the kind of reasons or the main reasons why, as good as this survey study is for kind of getting the ball rolling, um, I mean, I, I'd really like to kind of continue advance this research and like one of the main sort of ways of improving this scientifically would be to have direct control over the natural settings people have access to. So you can kind of keep it standardized and you know where people yeah. have been, been having these experiences because we honestly like, we don't know it's going to vary quite a lot between more wilderness settings and more green space settings. And because people are sort of completing a survey, we don't, we don't fully know or have control over the, the type of natural settings they have access to. Yeah. So yeah, we know that there's an effect there, but yeah, in order for the science to be more, more rigorous, we we would need to have full control over the natural settings um, that people have access to, and there's all we kind of got. There's plans in the pipeline to sort of take that forward. Hopefully. Okay. And then you mentioned ego dissolution experience. Maybe you could um, just how did you define that, and how did people report on that? So ego, yeah, ego dissolution is something that's that's fairly reliably catalyzed by by high dose psychedelic usage and it's strongly associated with the mystical type experiences people report under psychedelics as well and essentially if um if the if the ego is the subjective sense of self-identity um its dissolution is where essentially like part of the brain that the ego is thought to reside the default mode network that's sort of psychedelics interact with that system and essentially like power it down a bit and it, that system acts as like it's like controller hubs for the rest of the brain so when it's powered down a few things sort of happen it's like taking the conductor out of an orchestra and there's more sort of like there's more of a dynamic uh entropic state in the brain different different parts of the brain that are usually separate and compartmentalized start linking up and talking to each other in a way that they simply don't during the during the sober state usually but at the same time yes the ego uh, the sense of self can start to sort of relax and then and then dissolve and when that happens um essentially the uh perceived boundaries between between self and other break down and dissolve and so it can kind of facilitate this these expansive states of of unity of awe, and it seems that this is this is like a, a, an important part of the therapeutic effects psychedelics can have, particularly their long term therapeutic effects is is tied partly to this these experiences of ego dissolution and the, and the kind of mystical experiences that seem to stem from them, but at the same time. Um, it also seems to be linked to this sort of sustained feeling of nature connectedness people experience. So, and we're not the first study uh, to show this, like we are the first perspective before and after study to show it, but there's a, there's a previous study, uh, like a retrospective study kind of looking back. And that also found these, these experiences of, of ego dissolution were enhanced with uh, associated with enhanced nature relatedness. Mm. Yeah, I was actually thinking about, um, you know, in terms of you not being the first study, um, uh, it's really been pretty much since psychedelics came onto the scene, right, that people have, there's been advocates who've thought that um, their use could really profoundly shift society in different ways, make us more, um, uh, um, you know, communally focused and altruistic 
uh, make us care more for nature. Uh, this is like it feels like your study is really part of a, a tradition in this space, right? Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. Obviously, the the uh, the bulk of research conducted so far has been has been on the kind of the therapeutic medical applications of psychedelics so so mental health issues things like major depression addiction post-traumatic stress disorder existential anxiety fear of death thing things like like these psychedelics have been explored um quite thoroughly uh, and rightfully so because there's you know all of those things i just listed they're all like intractable conditions they're like existing treatments for well short um in terms of giving people relief and it seems although the, the research is still early days in some of the areas um on on this front like it's it seems that psychedelics do hold great great promise for, for treating these otherwise quite hard to treat conditions so they're very much worthy of of looking into medically therapeutically but i think yeah i think there's there's the, the potential of psychedelics extends far beyond just medical uh applications and my sort of yeah my my area of research that really interests me is this is their capacity in particular to kind of like um connect people to nature but there are other you know applications as well in terms of like potential uh you know changes to creativity and and problem solving as well there's been some like there were some old studies in the and one of the last legal studies in the 60s, looking using engineers and scientists who are working on a problem and giving them psychedelics in a, in a safely controlled environment. And there has been some recent work on this, although I don't think it's going to be, be published. So, yeah, there's, there's lots of other potential useful applications for, for psychedelics. And I think that they've still got the, the cultural taboo of the 60s hanging over them. Um, never before have government of governments criminalized a, a, a range of substances for the cultural effects that they had at the time and and the political sort of uh, effects in terms of you know psychedelic users were also part of the, the anti-war movement and if you speak to someone like david nutt who heads the imperial group he he, he takes the view that psychedelics were banned although they were banned under the guise of a public health measure it was that was a window dressing for it being a political move um so it'll be interesting to sort of like see how things play out now but at least here in the uk the these substances are schedule one uh they are the most highly illegal uh of all the substances so things like like um, heroin diamorphine cocaine methamphetamine so substances with a more much more limited medical utility much greater addiction risk and much more potential for harm are far more accessible and easier for researchers and, and medical doctors to obtain and work with than a Schedule One substance, which all the classical psychedelics fall into, despite them being, you know, non-toxic, non-addictive, and and with a lot of medical potential. So, and I see that very sort of draconian and sort of strict classification. That is a relic of the of the sixties that still still hangs over them, unfortunately. Yeah, it really does, which is why I was surprised when you said initially that uh, psilocybin was legal in London in the 90s. So that was, was there a brief window there or? So I think it was after the night, I think it might be, it was the, um, 
it was kind of the early 2000s okay the mid the mid the mid 2000s but it might have gone for longer it was it was partly as a result of our silly laws in that yeah any processing or drying of the mushroom made it immediately a class a substance uh, for some reason, when they were sold as fresh, they it fell under the the law as a food item rather than a yeah. drug. Um, so it was a, it was essentially a loophole in the law that was that was exploited by yeah. by some. Yeah, but I think you know it's, I was thinking about that as well. There's there's been a real stigmatization of these of these drugs, um, which. Uh, apart from the laws, uh, is also, I think, has kind of created a certain level of fear in a lot of people around taking them. And yeah. um, while I think, you know, as you said yourself, I think the set and the setting are really important and there are certainly some risks associated with people having a negative experience with unresolved psychological materials and so on, especially if the setting isn't right. Um, but what, do you have any other suggestions on how to address the kind of stigmas associated uh, with the drugs. So, yeah, I mean, I I personally, like, see, I guess a bit biased by my sort of my area, but I I would encourage people to kind of do do research. You don't you don't need to take other people's word for it that you're that you maybe encounter and speak to about these things. Like, look at the actual science and the research you don't you know you don't maybe need to look at the scientific papers themselves you can look at some of the the uh the media coverage um that sort of like crystallizes some of the results so i would encourage people to do their own individual research and look at the actual science and see what that says um it was interesting with the decriminalization uh movement that's sort of popping up in some of the cities in the u.s now calling for decriminalization of psilocybin and organic psychedelics um was it um i don't know if it was denver or the other place but like one of the uh the places where psychedelics were or all organic psychedelics were decriminalized it was and it was a unanimous council decision to make this so and the people standing before the council giving testimony they were giving a, a mixture of sort of looking at the reporting on the scientific evidence uh showing the the potential of these things and they were also kind of discussing their own personal subjective benefits and trans- transformation it was the combination of the two that sort of um yeah seemed to kind of win the day um in a sense so yeah i would i mean you know there's certainly these, these are powerful substances and there there are definite psychological risks if they're not sort of like respected and used in the right context um but sort of independent of the setting saying that yeah my number one recommendation would be would be to kind of look into the to the research i think yeah yeah and um so you know going back to the fact that so your study focused on nature relatedness and i i really um uh you know agree i think with some of the points that are pretty sure they're in your study about the importance of that given um this the ecological crisis that we have and the the sense that some of that crisis at least uh maybe a large part of it is due to our disconnect as a society from the environment and the awareness of our interdependence and the impact that we have. Yeah. Um, So, you know, in terms of addressing that, uh, what your key findings, so your key findings were that generally people had 
a greater sense of connection with nature when they had ego dissolution experiences and um, yes and access to to natural settings access to natural setting during the experience what other what other factors might there have been in terms of the different substances that people were using because i think there was quite a variety across your study did you find any differences yeah so that's yeah that's an interesting point so we looked at all classical psychedelics so you know mescaline dmt uh, ayahuasca um yeah um psilocybin as well so yeah we looked at all those things but it's interesting one of my uh friends uh, uh, david luke did a sort of one of the earliest survey studies trying sort of assessing psychedelic use and nature connectedness and pro-environmental behavior and awareness and i spoke to a researcher at yale um who who's got some unpublished data and in both in both instances uh psilocybin seemed to be particularly special and promising even among the the classical psychedelics in terms of its capacity to connect people to nature and we know from the the other non-psychedelic literature on this that part of what connects people to nature is, is actually getting out into it and experiencing it and connecting it with your senses particularly if there's an emotional connection that's a big part of of this so passive passive interaction with nature um it, it can increase nature connectedness, but not, not in all cases. And it's unclear for how long. It might just be a very transient short-term increase. So this, this connectedness to nature, it's an emotional, experiential um, thing. So, um, yeah, so, and it seems that, so psilocybin and LSD, say, are quite user-friendly psychedelics in that people can take them and go out and sort of explore and, and interact with nature whereas other other psychedelics are maybe more incapacitating or more powerful for example for example ayahuasca um is you know used shamanic sort of brew dmt containing brew in the amazon that sort of spread quite far and wide outside the amazon now and that's quite not so user-friendly like it can make you dizzy it can make you nauseous and and prone to purging you tend to be doing it under the watchful eye of the shaman overseeing the session so you're not liable to get up and, and, and be able to explore nature Whereas things like psilocybin and LSD, they, they kind of allow this sort of more interactive with setting um, type type session. And I also think that psilocybin is quite prone to inducing experiences of ego dissolution uh, at kind of therapeutic, uh, like high high dosages as well. So I think it's a combination of those things. Psilocybin seems to be um, particularly promising when it when it comes to this but we know also from the research that psychedelics work more powerfully and beneficially if they're part of a pre-existing practice be that therapeutic or be that spiritual like meditation or journaling or something like that Uh, and psychedelics really kind of amplify the the effects of that and also the long-term sustained um therapeutic gain gains so there's there was a study came out a few years ago and it sort of it yeah kind of compared two different uh, approaches to increasing nature connectedness and one of them was simply really quite simple approach is recording three things a day for five days that you love about nature or enjoy about nature and they also looked at three things a day 
across five days that were factual, factual things you'd write down about, about nature. And the factual group, there was no change in their in their nature connectedness. Where whereas the the people who recorded things they love or enjoy, there was this increase, and it seemed to be a sustained increase. So, what I, how I sort of see the future hopefully playing out is that psychedelics will be uh, used as as tools of ecotherapy and and nature connection, and they will kind of augment or supplement pre-existing practices um so this is this is a, a way of using them well i think and i'm thinking i'm hoping because we know that nature there's so much literature showing that nature has you know really psychologically soothing and restorative effects on people uh, as well as the sort of like the health benefits of being more connected to it your connectedness also predicts your um, contact with nature the value you place on it and the likelihood of spending time in it so i see this kind of psychedelic clinics of the future they will they will have the there will be kind of like indoor settings like that's the current model now is the clinical approach it's all like it's it's a cozy setting there's not really any, any nature in it but it's cozy it's safe it's controlled um so taking the best of that and then taking that clinic into say a woodland environment and so then people prior to their experience they can they can be out in nature um, and then they can be sort of in their their cozy safe secure indoor space but there'll be sort of like nice glass windows and, and a skylight and then you can kind of titrate the amount of nature that people are kind of exposed to so sort of on the ascent into the experience they'd have some nature there during the peak you kind of want to go inside and do the inner work so the outdoor yeah. the outside external settings less important but then also coming back people are then have access to nature and I, I think that that could be a nice way of doing it because this nature connectedness and the psychological benefits that come with it um, it's a it's a completely independent source of mental health improvement to how psychedelics work therapeutically which is more about kind of insight gaining insights during the experience with the therapeutic priming that you can then pull into your life and sort of make make positive changes so having them both together i think could improve overall outcomes in a, in a really beneficial way yeah absolutely and it's a really um you know, it's a, it's a great vision to hold a space where that is legal and, uh, you know, a rich option for, for self-healing and communal healing. Um, and, you know, it brings up a lot of things. So it brings up, I have a sense, uh, one of the things I was going to ask about is how, because it's really a shamanic, all these are old shamanic tools, as you mentioned, from, from many different cultures. And as such, they were often the tools of, ritual specialists which is what shamans essentially were in their community and in certainly in a lot of communities it was mainly the shaman who would be taking the substances and others it was a communal activity but yes we are kind of what we're proposing what you're proposing here in this model is where it becomes a communal uh an ex a tool that's accessible to everybody right so we can kind of all connect to that shamanic aspect within ourselves um i mean ideally in in the future um that i think that would be a positive thing i mean you know i don't i don't think like psychedelics are are suitable for, for everyone and you know 
in, in modern clinical studies now, medical screening is taken very seriously, um, yeah. you know, to keep, to maximize safety, anyone with an underlying or family history of schizophrenia or psychosis or anything like that is, is excluded in, in interest of safety. But yeah, I think, um, I think you'll hear this echoed by other psychedelic researchers is that like, there's, there's more than just the medical treatment potential here there's like various other uh potentials and it would be nice if people were allowed um access to these tools in the right in the right supported setting and the right environment and in the right context and that might be some way off in some parts of the world like i mean here in the uk it's still highly highly legal and controlled and the imperial group that I've, that I've done work with think maybe within the next five to 10 years, psilocybin will be rescheduled and become a schedule two substance. And just that alone, obviously it's not anything approaching legal, but it's, it will make it more accessible for research and medical use and off label right. prescription usage. So I think in the coming years, things will start to hopefully open up um, more and more, hopefully in a positive in a positive way it seems like you know uh yeah capitalism and, and sort of corporate corporate interests are becoming increasingly interested in psychedelics and the the hope of making a buck out of them uh, as you know has happened with the, with cannabis and yeah. i'm a little bit wary of yeah of some of the the players in the field i guess um trying to kind of maximize profit margins and stuff and yeah so we'll we'll see we'll see how things play out i guess yeah yeah well there's another thing this was just a thought i had looking at your material and i'm just curious whether you um have some thoughts on this one of the thoughts that occurred to me was this some kind of i feel there's a relationship between um a diverse and healthy ecosystem and a diverse and healthy variety of consciousness states of consciousness that we have integrated mm. and, and, and the relationship between say monoculture and really structured and civilized as it were or controlled environments yep. and yep. very linear rigid states of consciousness versus organic you know permaculture kind of yep. environments multi-cropping more diverse diverse state you know being being more fluid in our consciousness no, I mean, I, I like, I, I like that. I mean, obviously, you know, our civilization culture is, it's like much more the, the former. It's more of the, the monoculture, prime, yeah. predominantly a monoculture. That seems to be the, uh, the, the constant push in that direction. Yeah. You know, like, and the drugs of choice, you know, caffeine, tobacco, alcohol, they sort of like, they don't really allow one to deviate that much from that sort of particular, like, productive level of, of consciousness whereas these sort of the psychedelics kind of are something else um entirely no i think i think that's that, that, that's interesting i mem remember uh, there's a quote attributed to, to albert einstein that one cannot hope to fix problems or solve problems with the same level of consciousness that created them mm. uh, and this is why I, yeah partly why i think psychedelics can can be useful in that they kind of like give it give us access to a broader range of of consciousness and we kind of yeah i think we really would be really foolish as a species to sort of turn away or not explore avenues that can kind of give give us more access to consciousness can give us more levity 
and perspectives and maybe generate new ideas like we we really need that as a civilization as a species right now on this planet so it seems crazy to me that we don't sort of like yeah take seriously and, and follow up these these avenues and certainly psychedelics are not the you know they're not the only way to sort of expand yeah exactly and so I gonna... consciousness and i don't want to like limit yeah. limit to them to that but they are they are useful tools in the box i think yeah but i was actually gonna gonna talk to that because both you are you know in one of the pieces that uh, you're quoted is talking about how that psychedelics aren't necessary to increase nature relatedness there are other <laughs> other ways and and also in another paper i looked at david luke who you mentioned before said a similar thing around i think the kinds of um the kind of experiences that people have on psychedelics people also have with other means whether it's mm -hmm. meditation breathing techniques yeah. um those kinds of things so so you know probably sort of to wrap up really at this stage this takes me to the the, the paradigm you know what do you if people can have experiences through breath technique, for example, um, mm -hmm. and through psilocybin or through uh, focusing on leaving the body uh, consciously, and they're all kind of related experiences that seem to expand um, our sense of self and, and transcend yeah. our sense of self often. Yeah. What is your, I mean, you know my framework, right? You know my paradigm very much involving mm -hmm. bodies and so on. Uh, and I know that's probably not something you talk about at the Imperial College, but but how do you do you see you know, what's your understanding? What's your paradigm around what happens on the uh, on the substances and with consciousness? Yeah, well, that well, that's a very interesting, potentially expansive um, question. And I think so. My I, I, I guess one of my views is that there are kind of many paths, one mountain, and. There are, you know, through like the OBE stuff, through dream work, through breath work, shamanic drumming, psychedelics, there's, there's meditation, uh, darkness meditation, meditation. There, yeah, there are many different potential um, approaches here. People definitely aren't just limited to psychedelics. I think the, the thing that's in favor of psychedelics is that they are reliable. Um, in inducing altered states of consciousness like yes they can be they're inherently unpredictable but you can sort of aim them with the right set and setting and intent behind that and so that's that's what makes them quite special in the you know the experience of the mystical type experiences that, that they can elicit so experiences of like feelings of sacredness of feelings of like inherent a noetic quality, a truthfulness in the experiences, deep feelings of peace and joy and love, uh, the feeling you're connecting to something much bigger than yourself. Um, that's obviously like a sort of interesting concept for science to be kind of grappling with uh, alone. But it seems that with high doses of psilocybin, you can reliably induce this experience in, in people. And this experience is not, it's not, as easy to say it's simply like the psilocybin you know in like manifesting that alone it seems to be an inherent and in sort of an endogenous experience that very similar to what people have experienced spontaneously or through spiritual practice 
over the centuries or millennia as described by, by the mystics and like so th- and the, these these substances can rel- can sort of allow reliable access um, to these states of consciousness um, which is which is really important and i guess well, um yeah i mean you can be in meditation it, for a, i was going to say you can be in meditation for a long time and not have the kind of yes. mind opening experience that a single yeah. experience on psilocybin will will produce right yeah not to you know not to shut down not not to, i mean i think terence mckenna said something like um you know like i don't want i'm not going to try and imitate his accent but like you know why why should i why should i sweep the ashram floor for like two decades when i can you know take some some fungus and get there straight away you know <laughs> something something like that and, but i don't want to shout down the the meditative approach because like there's it's it's not all about chasing these mind opening experiences right. you know we need to like sort of integrate things in, yes. in, our, in our sober waking life and i think having a meditation practice it's kind of a, a more solid you know, it's like the hare and the tortoise. It's it's sort of slow and it's the tortoise in that it's slow and plodding, but it's it's stable and consistent. And I think as well, and, and we know from the research that having a, a practice like that, it's definitely that the there's a powerful synergy between having a sort of a meditation practice and when you do psychedelics, you've already got a kind of richer um, sort of terrain and 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 platform to sort of have these experiences. Uh, with but like i mean i don't know i guess i'm kind of like fairly sort of agnostic in what the, the deeper implications of of what these experiences mean um but like part of it and i don't think it should be trivialized is that they can re- allow access and this this applies to like many of these different states of consciousness that is that in some way it's, it's allowing you access to your higher self and or like yeah you're you're subconscious and there's like an inherent wisdom and um very useful kind of perspectives and insights that can be gained from kind of like yeah expanding your or sort of altering your your consciousness um definitely so it's it's a worthy a worthy and interesting and life enriching endeavor yeah 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 i guess the thing that i'm just sitting with i've had um Sometimes when I when I meditate, uh, I have the the way it feels is that I'm getting a slow release happening in my brain, right? Like there are these mm. these these, and so this is when I feel especially uh, blissful, especially expansive. Um, not. You know, it's not like it's kind of like the ecstaticness of of uh, expansive psilocybin experience brought right down. So it's like the taste yeah. of it. It's like just the, the yes, like it's just bubbling up just a little bit, right? Yeah. And I've, I've wondered. I don't know. I've never researched the chemicals that go on in the brain, right? With them and what studies there are. I don't know if you know if there's any studies as to what's released during particular kinds of meditation versus what happens with the the you talked about the serotonin receptors and so on that get activated in the psilocybin work but i certainly feel like there's the same thing happening in my brain at different scales yeah now i um it's it's a very interesting area and i'm sure like so 
there's there's a lot of like speculation about various different compounds i mean your brain is a you know it's a it's a chemical factory in terms of not just running on chemicals but actually making chemicals compounds as well and but unfortunately it's a very hard thing to study you know to kind of get actually into the brain in real time and probe it and measure it and find out what's going on chemically in there in a human brain in particular very tough so you know there's there's a lot of sort of unknowns and it's a very hard frontier to kind of explore and probe and i'm sure you've heard about the sort of you know the, the hypotheses put forward that the dmt endogenous dmt might be released as you die or during near-death experiences and like these kind of like you know interesting speculations have kind of gained a lot of traction and some people kind of take them as as fact as as uh, when they aren't at all as interesting as they are and perhaps there is something to them on some level but we really just don't know because it's such a hard thing to really uh, to really be able to assess so no I, I i think that there are absolutely likely to be interesting chemical changes um in in the brain uh, associated with different brain brain states um yeah. but at this point in time i think it's largely largely a mystery uh, remaining yeah. to be to be explored yeah yeah well we have to wrap it up unfortunately but um it sounds like you've got a lot of if you if you feel you know if you want to that sounds like there's enough here to dedicate the rest of your life to exploring the substances the states of consciousness and how to help us reconnect with nature so yeah it's a great feeling. yeah thank thank you kim yeah it, it it is i mean the whole particularly the nature connection area is is really of interest to me and really really important to me you know the psychedelics are just a, like a, a part of that they're, yeah. they're an aspect of it they're not like the, the whole event for me i just feel that they've they've got useful potential here that there's definitely worthy of, of exploring but um yeah no it's um it's nice having sort of like this area and something that gives me like deep a deep sense of meaning and, and, and purpose um because you know i've all i've always had a really deep connection to nature it's always it's just been like hardwired yeah. into me like you know as longer than i can remember i was kind of out in in nature kind of exploring it so but not everyone else uh, is fortunate to have that and you know I, it's a deep source of like joy and, and peace and intellectual stimulation for me i feel so lucky and blessed to have that so for people who aren't fortunate enough to have that maybe through circumstance you know they've lived up they've been brought up in urban environments as more and more of us are yeah. now over half our species is and more by 2050 like so people are becoming increasingly cut off from from nature so being able to sort of find ways of reconnecting people to nature for both their and its benefit, I see is really important Absolutely. work to do. Yeah, I so agree. And it's as you could say, as, as we become more and more urbanized, it's going to become more and more important how we can achieve that in, in those urban environments. Yeah. For the health of ourselves, each other, like the humanity and for the planet. Yeah. yeah. I think so. All right, Sam. Well, thanks so much. I'll have to wrap it up. But uh, cool. have you on. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Kim. Was uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, nice chatting. I really hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did, why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it on social media to help others find it. 
The tune seeing us out is another one from Axel Teslev. This one is called Akasha. You can find more information about today's guest on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com, including any links to their work and their contact details. On my website, you'll also find my blog and information and reviews about my book, Multidimensional Evolution, which you can purchase in any good bookstore if you want to show your love for this show and get practical info for your own exploration of consciousness. Finally, please get in touch, whether it is to ask questions, share experiences, or suggest guests and topics. I always love hearing from people, as I believe it is through sharing with each other that we can all grow together. Until then, or until you tune in again, I am sending you my very best energies. Thank you.